we were at uh, Blue Mountain uh, Convalescent Home, and uh, several of us went out there, and uh, it was a great time. And um, and then on the way back, uh, my friend Robert Sinclair is visiting. I don't know if you've had a chance to Robert, just wave right here. Robert's from uh, Sonora, where we are from, and he has a ranch there, and he'd like to move up to John Day one of these days, Lord willing. And uh, anyway, very good friend of ours. And um, so Robert went out there, and Jamie led singing, and then Shane went as well, and we all shared and had a testimony time and preached. But on the way back, I said, hey, let's stop at Donna Sharon Schultz's place. I wanted to show them their place up there. So we drove up that gravel road on Indian Creek, uh, the way up there, and it was a turnaround. We got up there, said hi and bye, and then came back down and got here about five minutes still. <laughs> I I want to start a new series uh, through the Beatitudes. And I, I love the Beatitudes. Uh, we call uh, the Jesus Sermon on the Mount. And of all the particular subjects that Jesus could talk about, he talked about happiness. Uh, he was speaking to individuals who, quite frankly, were very, very, most of them, unhappy. And I find the same situation in our world and our culture today, and it really puts things into perspective. Um, I'd invite you again to pull out those message notes, and I think we have an overhead up here that Don prepared for us. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 3 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And just keep your finger there. And in just a moment, uh, we're going to be looking at that particular passage of Scripture. Uh, and um, and I, I like to pray. Lord, I'm asking this evening that you'd help me, as always, to make this message applicable to our lives where we live at. Thank you for walking beside us, Lord, this afternoon, for uh, the fellowship that we have with others, for the meal that we had, and, and, and for perhaps even the nap this afternoon, and the opportunity to minister to uh, senior citizens out in Prairie City and and uh, the beautiful drive out there to and from. And thank you for your loving kindness in the many, many different ways in which you show your love for us. Even when we don't sense you and don't sense your presence, you're right there working our life in our behalf. We know that everything works together for good to who love them. And Lord, we ask that you would give us what we call the eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. Your perspective from the eternal uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, they, they asked this question. They asked this question, what would make you happy? What, what would make you happy? What would make you happy? And they asked this question of 52,000 Americans in the, in the uh, magazine called Psychology Today. They asked this question, and they took to a survey, and they said, what would make you happy? And I want you to listen to their answers that some of these people gave. They said, uh, what would make me happy? Friends, social life, job, being in love, recognition, success, uh, sexual intimacy, personal growth, good financial situation, having a house, having an apartment, being attractive, being beautiful, the city I live in, recreation, exercise, being a parent, marriage, uh, my partner's happiness, but the interesting thing, did you notice the interesting thing about most of these responses to these attempts to find happiness are through what we would call external situations instead of internal situations. They're external situations instead of internal situations. And the popular idea, the popular idea is having the right set of circumstances. And it is what I call when and then thinking. 
when I get out of school, how many of you have heard this? When I get out of high school, then I'll be really happy. When, when I get out of college, <laughs> Darren, <laughs> when I get out of college, I'll be really happy. Uh, when, 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 when I get married, then I'll be really happy. When I have a child, then I'll be, when I get married, then I'll be really, when I retire, how many of you said that? When I retire, then I'll really be happy. It's, it's when and then thinking. And, uh, when the kids leave home, then I'll be happy. I, I couldn't wait for my youngest to leave. And then the next week I was depressed. I was walking the floor. I was, I was weeping emotional because I was missing him. Isn't that funny? The classic chapter on the search for happiness is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now, if you want to turn back there, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, this is a classic search for happiness. And Solomon, Solomon, keep your finger here if you want to in Matthew and go back to Ecclesiastes if you want to. You don't have to, but if you want to. Solomon, in verse 1, said, I decided, I decided to enjoy myself and 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 find out what happiness is and according to chapter 2 solomon said i tried three primary ways to find happiness i i tried three primary ways to find happiness and each one of these things were a dead end and everything that he talks about these three things uh are these accumulating things Accumulating things. We know that Solomon ate off of gold plates. We know that he drunk out of uh, golden goblets that were encrusted with diamonds and rubies. Accumulating things. He had all the wealth of the world. He was one of the richest men in the world, besides one of the wisest men in the world, the Bible says. Accumulating things. Experiencing pleasures. We know that he had hundreds of beautiful women. It says that. He had hundreds of concubines, hundreds of wives, wives, and he experienced every single pleasure known to man, so to speak. And then number three, achieving success. He was looked up to. He was so prominent uh, that we know that the uh, queen of uh, Sheba came to him and many other people and politicians and governors and kings and all these people around here sought the wisdom of Solomon. And all those three avenues, accumulating things, experiencing pleasure, achieving success. And you know what? He says they were all dead ends. He says they didn't bring me any lasting happiness. They were all dead ends. And it's like chasing after the wind, he, he would say. So here he was, the wealthiest guy in the world. He had all kinds of pleasure. He was the so, most successful man of his time. And uh, he said, these things don't bring me, not, never brought me lasting happiness. Um, you, you know, we often think that uh, uh, the, 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 all these states, they want you to spend their money on their lottery, right? And, and so uh, they say, hey, you can, you can be a multimillionaire and the lottery is up to $60 million, $70 million. What was the last lottery? A quarter, $250 million. $400 million, and these people get real, their eyes get really big. I'm going to win the lottery, whatever. I, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to win the lottery. Then I'm going to be happy. If, if I could just pay off my house, and if I could just accumulate enough money in the bank, then I'm really going to be happy. But you guys remember, and I know you know it, you remember the question they asked of Howard Hughes, the billionaires. They, they asked him that, that question. What was it? How much more does it take for you to be happy. And Howard Hughes basically said, just a little bit more, just a dollar more. 
one of the richest men in the world, and he said, the only way I'm going to be happy is I get a little bit more. And so we experience pleasure. We, we, we search for the latest thrill. Uh, every single weekend here in Oregon, people are looking to uh, for recreation. And, and there's nothing wrong with recreation, but they often are substituting that for, uh, as we know, would say a relationship with God. And so they go out and, and they spend 60 hours the weekend and they come back and they, they're more exhausted than when they left. You know, uh, Solomon said, I tried it all, achieving success. If I could just get people to look up, up at me, then I'll be happy. Notice verse 17. Yeah, I think it's Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, all of it, notice, uh, if you like to circle on it, he said, all of it is meaningless. And he uses that phrase uh, time and time. It's a chasing after the wind. So again, the popular idea is when, when this happens, then I'll be happy. When this happens, then I'll be happy. When this happens, I'll be happy. But Solomon tells us that he experienced all of these things, pleasure, accumulating things, achieving success, and these things never brought happiness. Now, contrast all that to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, we have Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And really, I call these eight positive statements about happiness. They're called uh, the Beatitudes. And, and of all the subjects that Jesus could have chosen to speak on when he, when he started his Sermon on the Mount, why did he choose the subject of how to be, ha- why, how to be happy? Of all the subjects, think about it. Here Jesus is on that famous Sermon on the Mount, on the mountain there, and, and people all around him. And why did he talk about the subject of happiness? Why? Because he knew that everybody that he was speaking to, and perhaps even down through church history to the present, everybody was searching for happiness, but very, very few people actually find it. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to look at these eight Beatitudes of how to be happy. And and they're not just principles for personal happiness, but also a prescription for uh, what we would call emotional health. Now, each of these Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. And and that's an interesting word, blessed. Uh, The word blessed is the old English word. It simply means happy. That's the simplest definition, happy. And this is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, look at that particular passage of Scripture with me. Jesus said, happy are blessed. He used blessed. Are you if you're poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When you read those particular things, does that sound like contradictions? Happy, happy are you when you are uh, poor in spirit? Happy are you when you're put down and when you're persecuted? That doesn't sound like happiness to me. Jesus was saying that you can learn And we need to be reminded of this in the 21st century all the time. We know it, but we need to be reminded of it if we've been a Christian very long. He was saying, you can be happy 
in spite of your circumstances. In spite of your circumstances. If you, if, if, if you have to have all your problems solved in order for you to be happy, you'll never become happy. That's not that, that, that's, so, that's so true. If I have to have everything perfect in my life to be happy, I will never be happy because nothing is ever absolutely perfect. When I go through one problem, then I get a whole new set of other problems. Isn't that true? Life is full of problems. And Jesus said, I want to teach you that happiness does not depend upon the right circumstance, but it depends upon the right heart attitude. Not upon the right circumstances, but upon the right heart attitude. My happiness is not determined by what's happening around me, but rather what's happening inside of me. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to look at what this means. It's really sad to me because our culture is so warped. It is so warped. And I could go, I could, I could use illustration after illustration to illustrate what I'm talking about. I'm, but I'm going to use one illustration. But I could use myriad of illustrations when it comes to Hollywood actors and actresses and when it comes to famous singers. But I'll mention one name, Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, a very, very popular singer among young adults. She had it all. She was nice looking. A good-looking young lady. She came from a nice family. All of a sudden, she was elevated to the top of the pop charts. She became a multi-million record seller. Wealthy, beyond her dreams. She was married. But for all of her happiness that could not help her, uh, excuse me, for all the so-called happiness, it did not really help her to find true happiness because Amy Winehouse uh, OD'd on alcohol and drugs. Jesus is saying, it's not how much we have that makes us happy. Happiness does not depend upon externals. The atmosphere outside it depends upon the attitude inside. It's not determined by external circumstances. It's determined by internal heart attitude, and these are the attitudes of the heart. In other words, blessed happiness, he's talking about, is really, bottom line, a choice. You choose the right attitudes with God's help to implement these things in your life. Basically, right now, this is true, there are some... There are some extenuating circumstances, but overall, we're as happy or sad as we want to be. You say, Pastor Ron, that's not true. It is true, because this is what Jesus was talking about. Life is tough, and there are a lot of things that don't go right and don't go your way. And happiness is dependent upon having the right heart attitudes. Well, briefly, let's let's look at this very first step, the very first attitude. The very first happiness that he talked about, the very first uh, beatitude, is what I call humbleness. Look at verse 3 one more time with me. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? You look at all the commentaries, and you look at, look at all the people executing this, and, and he's not talking about low self-esteem. He's not talking about putting yourself down. Poor in spirit, it means I put myself down. It means I'm, I'm junk and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. No, no. It's not talking about that. 
you have value, you have worth, you have significance. That doesn't mean that you're perfect, uh, that you have perfect performance. It doesn't mean you've never sinned in your life. Um, I'm lousy, I'm terrible, awful. No, he's not talking about that. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It simply means to be dependent upon God. He's talking about humility. Most of the commentaries, all the commentaries, define poor in spirit as admitting that I need God's help more than anything else, more than anyone else. I admit that I cannot make it apart from God's grace and apart from His empowerment. I am dependent upon Him. He's talking about humility, admitting that I don't have it all together in my own, my own strength, realizing that I haven't arrived, realizing that I haven't learned it all, uh, that I don't have perfect performance, even though I think you can have a perfect heart, but I'm not, I don't have perfect for, 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 for performance. Now, what is the opposite of being poor in spirit? The opposite of being poor in spirit is arrogance. It is egotism. Jesus said, if you're full of arrogance and egotism, you're never going to be happy. The Good News translation of this verse says, happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Spiritually poor. In and of myself, I don't have anything to make God pay attention to me. In and of myself, I can't do anything to earn God's favor. In and of myself, I am nothing. I don't, I'm spiritually poor. I don't have one iota in and of myself of, of, um, of understanding. I am spiritually poor. The Living Bible says, happy are the humble. The point is, is that Jesus says the starting point is simply humility and humbleness. Dependence upon God, humility and humbleness and happiness go together. I'll say it again. Humility and happiness go together. Humility and happiness go together. They're, they're twins. Now, we talk about loving God with all our heart, body, mind, and soul. And we talk about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, you know, Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. But how do you teach someone to love God? You ever ask that question? How do you teach some, how, someone to love God? You, you teach about what the Bible says and you try to convey to them your love for God and God's love for you. And, and, and you, you say, but, you know, have you ever experienced the love of God? I really haven't experienced the love of God. How do you teach the love of God? You model it. You try to teach it. You try to share God's word. But you cannot twist someone's arm to fall in love with God. You can't twist someone's arm to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Somehow, through testimony, through witness, through personal sharing, through living that life, all of a sudden they begin to see, perhaps, that God is really real and alive and He really, 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 really loves them and that He really, really, really has a plan for their life, that He really, really does love them. And somehow, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they open their life up to the Lord and they have a salvation experience, what we call a salvation experience. And it goes from their head to their heart. And all of a sudden, as we would, most of us would say when we experience salvation, we experience God's love and it floods our life and heart. And in turn, we, want to, we, ha, we, we love the Lord and we want to do what He wants us to do. Humility, acknowledging that 
whole transaction is what it means to be poor in spirit. Humility and happiness, they go together. Um, it, and, I, and I want you to know uh, the three benefits. I, I think there are three specific benefits to this, uh, how humility increases my happiness. First of all, humility reduces my stress. And you say, what are you talking about? Humility, being poor in spirit, reduces my stress. You see, when I'm humble, I don't have to have all the answers. When I'm humble, when I'm poor in spirit, I don't have to have all the answers. You know, I have opinions, you have opinions, and we like to express those opinions, but when it comes down to it, there's a lot of things that we don't know. When I'm humble, I don't have to have all the answers. I realize the world doesn't depend upon me. I'm concerned about the world. I'm concerned about the government. I'm concerned about Obamacare, but I don't stay awake at night worrying about that because I am not in charge of the universe. And if you allow those things to consume your life and to make you worry, um, you're doing it wrong. Humility and poor spirit should reduce stress in your life, not increase stress. It means that I can check out of trying to be in control of the universe, being the general manager. I can not solve all the problems in the world. I can pray about them and I can talk about them and and uh, I can write about them, and I can journal about them, and whatever it may be, but when it comes down to it, I cannot solve all the problems in the universe. When I'm humble, I can live with the tension between the real and the ideal, the way I want to live my life, the way I want my career to go, the ideal for my family, my marriage, my kids, and the reality of the way it really is. I can live with that tension. I have the ideal... And then I'm experiencing the reality of it. And I can live with that tension. Because there's always a tension of life between the ideal and the real. It reduces stress when I'm humble, when I'm poor in spirit. Uh, I'm convinced that we take ourselves too seriously and we don't take ser- uh, God seriously enough. Now, someone, uh, whenever I go to a new, whenever I've gone to a new church or uh, whenever I teach a class, membership class, people always say, well, what should we call you? What should we call you? And, and I always say the same thing. I always say, well, you can call me Ron. You can call me Pastor Ron. You can call me Ray or you can call me Jay. <laughs> but just don't call me Reverend. Just don't call me Reverend. Um, I, I think we take ourselves too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. I think that's the crux of almost every one of our problems. Uh, sometimes we're we are out to impress people with who we are because we know who we really are and, 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 and what we want to be and there's stress in between. But when I become humble, a humble person, I'm dependent upon the Lord and I can say, Lord, uh, you help me. You strengthen me. Um, I'm poor in, poor in spirit. I'm dependent upon you. Well, number two, I think that humility also improves my relationships. How many of us like to be around people with big heads? Um, prideful people are a pain in the blessed assurance. Did you hear what I said? Prideful people are a pain in the blessed assurance and other body parts of the anatomy. Selfish, self-centered people are, are an irritation and nobody likes to be around those individuals. 
and they wreck relationships and self-centered people are never happy. Never, ever happy. Self-centered people are never, never happy because they're unhappy. They make everybody else unhappy and they spread their gloom and doom simply because of their egotism. Boy, that's a harsh statement, isn't it? They often are unhappy so they spread their unhappiness because of their egotism. You say, how can they spread their gloom and doom because of their egotism? Because they're so focused on themselves and my problems and my world and what I want to happen that they don't understand that life is not about them, but it's about others. It's about others. Happiness. Happiness improves my relationships because I'm focused on others and not just on myself. And this is very difficult to tell a 15, 16-year-old, 17-year-old teenager, isn't it? Because they're consumed often with self and their whole world centers around themselves. And often we say, you know, just grow a little bit. Just get a little bit more mature and you understand it's not about you and it's not about yourself. It improves my relationships when I'm humble. On the other hand, um, we like to be around humble people, those who don't think they're so hot. They're, they aren't always trying to impress you. Uh, when you tell a story, they're not always trying to tell a better one. Uh, when, when you're humble, you get along better with other people. Humility doesn't mean you think less of yourself. You just think more about other people. You become interested in others because you're interesting to others. Uh, you have better relationships, and it's easier to say those hard words. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I need help. Uh, when I'm poor in spirit, it means I, 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 it reduces, again, the stress in my life. It improves my relationships with others because I'm humble enough to ask for forgiveness. I, I read this last week, or yeah, it was this last week, about St. Francis of Assisi. Remember that uh, Catholic monk? And he had a method of maintaining humility. In his writings, he said, anytime someone praised him, in order to stay humble, he had a fellow monk sit down and tell him all his faults. <laughs> I don't suggest you do that. Uh, now, you may not need a fellow monk to do that. If we've ever been married, sometimes we have that person in our life. Uh, and, um, and sometimes there's heavenly sandpaper at home. Sometimes we laugh at this, but ladies, it's your not it's not your job to keep your husband humble. It's not your job to keep your husband humble. And men, it's not your job to keep your wives humble. That's God's job. Ruth Bell Graham, before she died a number of years ago, this is what she said about Billy Graham. My job is to love Billy. God's job is to keep him humble. And God can do a better job than I can. And it will do your marriage wonders if you will just understand and realize that it's not your job to keep your husband or wife humble. It improves my relationships. I, I can find, uh, I, I find that when I'm uh, full of pride, I bruise easily. Does that make sense? I bruise easily. I'm very sensitive to other people's comments. When I'm pumped up trying to impress people and someone says something that really shouldn't bother me, it hurts. It's like sticking a pin in a balloon. On the other hand, I've discovered that when I'm trying to walk in humbly before the Lord and, and, and just being honest and depending upon God, I'm almost, 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 not quite, almost immune to insults or put-downs. Uh, almost nothing 
hurts me. Um, and number three, we're talking about the benefits of being humble and poor in spirit. It releases God's power. You bet it does. It releases God's power. Humility releases God's power in your life. And this is the scripture that I go back to time and time again. It's found in James chapter 4, verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6. And I don't know if it's up there, but listen to what it says. And it's, I think it's in your message notes. God gives what? Strength to who? To the humble. Another translation says, He gives spiritual power. People often say, I want spiritual power in my life. I want to feel closer to God. I, I, I want to feel God's love. I, I feel distant from God. What does it say? God gives grace to the humble, but He sets Himself against the proud. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. Exalt yourself and you'll be humbled. So the context tells us, that as we draw near to God, as we draw close to God, as we are humble before God, as we are poor in spirit, God blesses that. He blesses the heart attitude in our lives. He blesses that. And the result of that is it releases God's power in our life and it brings happiness. Happiness. Now, this past April, I celebrated my blank birthday. I was the speed limit. I, I celebrate 55. And those of you that are older say, you're just a kid. You're just a spring chicken. But I don't feel like a spring chicken. I don't. I, I, I feel like I'm you know, getting past middle age a little bit. Some of you are just shaking your head. You go, just wait. Just wait, Pastor Ron. You just wait. But I, I, but I hit the speed limit this past, past April, 55. And my wife and I went out for a special dinner and she made me something special. Uh, she, there was something there. I think we went out to dinner, but anyway, I got a I got a pie from somebody and uh, um, coconut cream pie from Sammy. It was the best coconut cream pie I've ever had. It was wonderful. It was great, and I I ate that coconut cream pie with joy. I I just had a slice every night and with a glass of milk and. It was just, it was just wonderful. And I got cards from my kids, just like you guys. You get cards from your kids. You get cards from your family. You get little gifts, and you'll get little presents, and etc. And as I uh, thought about my birthday and read those cards and realized I was 55 years old, I did this a little bit of life review, like you do too sometimes. And I went through my mind, and there were two things going through my mind at the same time. One, truly, I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the graciousness of God. Just overwhelmed. You know how you get that way sometimes? You just, it doesn't happen all the time, and I'm not saying I'm overwhelmed all the time, but sometimes you're just overwhelmed by the graciousness and the goodness of God in your life. You just get overwhelmed by God's goodness in your life. Uh, and, and of all the things that I don't deserve, he's, he's allowed me to be born in America. Of all the places that I could have been born, He allowed me to be born in America with all of its faults and warts and everything else. This is still the greatest country alive. He allowed me to be born. I could have been born in Africa. I could have been born in the place where this, in Amman, where we had the missionary today. I could have been born anywhere, but I had the privilege of being born in America. And, 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 and I was raised uh, by good parents, not perfect parents, but, but by good parents. And, I, and, I, and I, we live in such a beautiful area. This is a beautiful area. 
It is a gorgeous area. Uh, I've been taking my friend around. We went to Magoni Lake yesterday, went for a hike around the lake. We went to uh, Prairie City. Is it Magoon or Magoni? Magoon. <laughs> you can sure tell he's a California transplant. I'm sorry, folks. Magoon. Magoon. Anyway, we... we, we <laughs> uh, you get me... Yeah. We'll get you educated. And then and then we went to Prairie City today, and we I, I took him to Don and Sharon Schultz's ranch. And you know, you've been there. What a beautiful place. What a beautiful scenery. Right up in the... I mean, it goes right there. The, the whole thing is before you, the whole valley, and then the, the, all the pine trees right behind their house there. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And, and to live in such a beautiful area and to be with such a great group of church people and, and individuals who, who, love, uh, who love us and, who, and love our church and the family. I, I'm humbled by that. I'm humbled by the goodness and the graciousness of God in my life, and I was overwhelmed with that. The other thing that, was, uh, that I experienced was... Uh, the deep sense of, I'm just being honest with you, the deep sense of responsibility, the deep sense of responsibility. I feel pastoring this church. And, 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 and I know, I've been a pastor a long time. People come to church discouraged, depressed, facing problems, facing situations. And, and I don't know half of the situations. I really don't. I, you know, I have a clue sometimes, but I don't know half of the particular situations. And, and, and people are looking often for a word from the Lord, um, a word from God, and, and what does God have to say about this, about my life and what I'm going through at this particular time. So I feel a deep sense often of inadequacy and fear. Uh, Lord, you've got the wrong guy, and I can't do this on my own, and, and I've got to totally depend upon you to be a pastor. And so I have this uh, ritual that sometimes, most time, most Sundays, sometimes, it's not, it's not every Sunday, but most times, I have this ritual on Sunday morning. I, I sing a song in my office, something like, Jesus loves me. That's why it's so fresh in my mind. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, amazing grace. Uh, because if I don't feel loved by God, how can I show the love of God to other people? Then I basically offer my resignation and, and I basically say, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do this today, but if you don't want me to do this next week, you just work it out. I know that's your will today, but I'm living one day at a time and then I recommit my life to the Lord and ask him to empower me and help me. And um, not always, but often after that process, I feel God's peace and presence. Uh, and my prayer is that He will empower me to do even what I don't think I've got the power to do. What I'm trying to say is, poor in spirit is an attitude of the heart where we continue to be dependent upon God. We continue daily to humble ourselves before Him. Recognizing that we can only do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Listen one more time to Matthew 5.3. Happy 
are those, this is another translation, this is a Phillips translation, happy are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That means God is always available to the people, our persons, our people who are humble before Him. Let's pray together. The fact is that uh, we need the Lord in our life. We need God's power to make it next week. If you don't, if you think you don't, um, you don't have it right. His power is available. And often I think the Lord is waiting for us. He's waiting for us to pour out His power and His strength upon us. You say, what is, what is He waiting for? Well, you've got to ask and you've got to admit your need for His help. If you walk out of here saying, I don't need God in my life this next week to make it, then good luck. You'll have to solve all your problems on your own power, your own ability, your own strength, and then wonder why you're tired all the time. But when you walk before the Lord and say, I need your help, Lord. I can't make it. I can do all things through you that strengthens me. I'm going to resign from being the manager of the universe. I'm going to give you my pains and my problems. Then the power will come upon you. He'll just give you his supernatural power to work on those problems that you cannot change and you've tried. Those areas of your life you can't get control of. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit. Would you, I just invite you to pray a simple